Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The CV CV Report. TPS Report. The CV Report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, right. take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, like a day on the beach, this episode's going to feature a drink and a good book. First, we'll hear from ConnectingVets.com reporter Abby Bennett about a survey that says military people drink too much. Yes, there was a story talking about how uh, members of the armed forces supposedly drink a a third of the year. And then we're all familiar with the story of American Sniper. But you may not know that the loss of Chris Kyle is not the end of the story, but rather the beginning of a world of inspiration. And here to talk about that with us is his wife, Taya Kyle, where she'll discuss her new book, American Spirit. You're not going to see it on social media and you're not going to see it on the news with the loud extremes the truth is that's that's not what real life is for most people and i I think of all the issues that i hear on the news and then i look in my community and i go i don't see that here the majority are loving each other lifting each other up All right, joining me in the studio is a new addition to the team here at ConnectingVets.com. Abby Bennett, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Nice. Nice to have you aboard. And uh, you come to us by way of North Carolina. Tell me a little bit about where you were. I am originally from uh, Illinois, but I was an Army brat. And our last duty station was Fort Bragg. And that's where I went to high school. And then I attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I last was working at the News and Observer in Raleigh. Nice. So you got a uh, journalism background and some North Carolina experience and you bleed Tar Heel blue. Yes, sir. All right. That's good. Well, talk to me about this study, because uh, I think you and I got off to a good start here when the first thing we started chatting about in the newsroom (laughs) is an alcohol study. And we've seen this a bunch of times. And in fact, there's probably one a year that comes out crunching the numbers, so to speak. But this one had an alarming headline and it basically said that members of the military drink too damn much. Tell me about what you found. Yes, there was a story um, talking about how uh, members of the armed forces supposedly drink a a third of the year. Um, And it's based on data from a study by the CDC analyzing data from 2013 to 2017 across many, many industries. 
And there's about 27,000 respondents to this survey for the CDC. And of that 27,000, only 81 of them were in the military. And right, so- hold on. Huge survey, CDC, relatively reputable organization, right? Centers for Disease and Health Control, right? Yes, absolutely. 27,000 people in the batch. Mm-hmm. And less than 100 of them, 84, mm-hmm. were military. Right. And so to extrapolate out from that small sample and say or allude to there being a problem with drinking in the military based just on that evidence alone is uh, it's a lot to extrapolate out, certainly. Yeah. And, you know, a lot to extrapolate out. Uh, I'll, I'll even dumb that down. That's bullshit. Right? I mean, come on. You couldn't you couldn't pick the favorite topping on a pizza with a sample size of only 84 people. And I'm talking couldn't pick the samples I mean, couldn't pick the favorite pizza on a base the size of Minot, North Dakota. <laughs> I mean, 84 people is not enough people. It's a pretty small sample and so to to apply that then to the entire armed forces community is right. pretty irresponsible. Um, you know, you want to have as big of a sample size as you can reasonably have. Talk to me about some of the math real quick. Um, I know we were just chatting about mm-hmm. like what this actually worked out to. Drinks per day, drinks per week. Wow me with some math here. Right. Okay. So um, based on those 81 respondents uh, out of 27,000, um, it looked like the average number of um, days that people consumed alcohol in the past year, the average number of days people in the armed forces said they consumed alcohol was 130 days, which is about, you know, a third, a little bit more than a third of the year, um, followed by, you know, people in the mining or construction industry, lots of blue collar industries. Um, but again, you know, when we're talking about the armed forces here, we're talking about 81 people out of 27,000 said they had, right. they had some alcohol 130 <laughs> days out of the year. Um, and then when you look at the average number of drinks that these armed forces members said they consumed per sitting, you know, you're looking at 2.2, which is, you know, very little. Yeah. In the Navy, I called that lunch. Right. (laughs) Um, And then the number of days in the past year, these armed forces members said that they engaged in binge drinking on average was 41 days. You know, we've got 52 weeks in a year. Right. So 41 days is what they're saying. That Which they, could be like Friday night, going out <laughs> with the bodies, be. shooting some pool, having some fun in the bar. And is that a shocker when you're talking about a demographic of men and women that are 18 to 25 years old? I don't think anybody would be particularly surprised by that. <laughs> Mom, true confession. I went out Friday night and boozed with the boys. Right. Said and, the 22-year-old that surprised no one. And again, the average consumption per sitting from these armed forces members who responded to this survey was 2.2. Well, I love it. I love the fact you brought the story to my attention. And you can find it at ConnectingVets.com. Uh, Thank you. Your radar is tuned in, and you are going to spot the fake news wherever you find it. Welcome to the team, Miss Abby Bennett. Thanks, Bill. All right, our next guest on the CV report, America may have first learned about because of the heroism and the story of her husband, Chris Kyle, former Navy SEAL and the subject of the book and the movie American Sniper. But we continue to learn from his wife, Taya, who's an author and a devoted mom and a source of inspiration. In fact, after her husband's life was cut short by the gun of a fellow veteran whom he was trying to help, like anyone would be, Taya's world was shattered. 
but it's how the pieces got put back together and are continually being put back together that makes this amazing story. And it's the feeling that is truly captured in her latest book, American Spirit, Profiles in Resilience, Courage, and Faith. And here to talk about this book and her life, Taya Kyle, pleasure to have you on the CV Report. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I, I was just I was just telling you, I saw I was flipping through TV the other day and I saw you on with Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. And are you guys really text buddies? Yeah, you know, it's not like an everyday texting thing. But yeah, every once in a while, I, if I have like a, a silly pun or like a funny joke or something like that, I'll send it to her. So, you know, and we just check in once in a while. But, you know, not not all the time, but often enough that I'm just touched that she, you know, that she keeps in touch. That's awesome. Yeah. Such a sweet interview. And I'm in the process right now of actually doing a documentary podcast. So I think I kind of feel you on how this book came together and what it does for you. Uh, I've traveled mm-hmm. the country and I'm talking to different war fighters. I've talked to Kirstie Ennis and I've talked to a few others. And I find when I'm done with these conversations, man, I, hearing their story to go from like a good day to a bad day to a bad day that got worse. And then all of a sudden to come out a bigger, better, wonderful person it just makes me feel good. And I think that other people feel good when I tell them the story of what I just heard. Um, you said in several interviews that making this book actually helped you heal. Talk to me about the healing properties of American spirit. Yeah, I, you're right. We are on the same page. And I completely understand that feeling of saying, like, it made you feel so much better. You feel a responsibility to share it. You feel a duty, almost selfish if you don't share it, because it really is powerful, and I think it reminds us of what this world is about. I think there's a soul connection that makes sense to us on some subconscious spiritual level, meaning I really, you know, my faith, I'm Christian, not everybody in the book is, and that was on purpose, because, you know, I don't, I think the American spirit is full of diversity and all different backgrounds, but you see what you see through your lens and through my lens, I see this divinity of God saying darkness will never win and darkness will come to you, but I will set it up so that you will be better for it. You will be stronger for it. And when you see that over and over and over, all of a sudden the world is not such a scary place and it is not such a victim is not a word that you gravitate toward. It's like um, resilience is the word you gravitate toward. The people that come through it, you go, wow, if they can get through this and, you know, we can get through anything and I can help anybody else get through anything and be better for it. I mean, you see these things and you think, oh my gosh, their world is ruined. Uh, They'll never be okay. And then you think, not only are they okay, they're helping other people be okay. And like, whoa, you know, that's powerful stuff. I love it. And in fact, as I look through the book, you don't have to go any further than the table of contents, but you'll see like there's dozens of interviews and and and, and small little stories of people that mm-hmm. are making the world a better place. And I find it kind of interesting because when you look at the table of contents, you see all these great little chapters on people's stories. Yet when you look at the world through the lens of social media and Twitter, it does look like America's a mess right now and we're right. more divided than we've ever been. You say in interviewing all these people, you discovered that the spirit of America is actually still alive and well, and in fact, it's thriving. 100%. It's just absolutely what you said. You, you're you not going to see it on social media, and you're not going to see it on the news with the loud extremes. You're going to see it when you look at your neighbors and you really have a heart to see it for what it is, because there's a there's a way that things are designed where people have figured out that anger is attractive extremes and 
chaos is somehow attractive. Like we, maybe it's a self-protective instinct that we have to look at stuff like that and see. But the truth is that's, that's not what real life is for most people. And I, I think of all the issues that I hear on the news and then I look in my community and I go, I don't see that here. I don't see it. Right. And then I go to other communities across the country and I travel and I fly and I go, yes, there are places where this is happening because the world is going to be evil. There are going to be evil people in it. You can't escape that. And if that's all we focus on, okay. I mean, that's a reality that's been here since day one and will be here until the day we die. But the other side of that is a majority and the majority are loving each other, lifting each other up. And I find the other part of this book that is so inspiring to me is that when you look at social media, you think, oh, you only have impact if you have hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And in this book, you'll find you have so much more impact when you're just doing one right thing after another in, in big and small ways, because it either grows into a whole movement without you even trying, or like in one of the stories, you know, this grandmother made sandwiches for people who are looking for work, crossing over the railroad tracks in Compton and hungry, and she just left them on her windowsill. Two generations later, you find out that the inspiration for donating a million plus dollar building to Catholic charities for homeless people, when you dig into why did he do that? Where did that spark come from? She goes, you know, I think I just remember my Nana making sandwiches for people who were looking for work and were hungry. And I'm, I'm thinking, that's it. That's the message is that everything you do that is one right thing will have a ripple, whether you're on earth to see it or not. You have to trust that it matters and that it's goodness and that it's, it's part of fighting the dark. Mm. And that is so cool to hear, so warm to hear on so many levels, and especially mm-hmm. knowing that it's coming from you, who's you know been through some stuff. Uh, just love that. Thank lo- you. Lo- love that message. Uh, loved all the characters. Uh, on your Good Morning America appearance, uh, it was said that there are people in this book you should know, or people in this book we will know, and people in this book that everyone should know. Uh, let's yes. talk about some of the chapters here. Uh, let's start with somebody that I kind of met with a interesting support of veterans issues and a lot of different issues last year. And that is country singer Zach Brown. Share with me yeah. a little bit about what he's doing in this world. Yes. Yeah, so what was cool for me is that I love I'm so intrigued by what's behind the scenes. Right. What is what are these people that we think we know in one area? What are they like elsewhere in their lives? I think there's a search for truth somewhere in there. And Zach is one of those. You know what he does in his music. He is a perfectionist. He has all of his musicians are like top level musicians. He doesn't compromise on quality. And he also doesn't compromise on, you know, uh, just sort of the friendships that he's had forever. He keeps them with him. And one of those things that's in that kind of a deep soul is this understanding he has of what made him who he is. And there were two things he knew he wanted to do growing up. He wanted to start a camp and he wanted to be a musician. So he never gave up on the camp dream. And now he has the ability to do it on a a higher level. And so he's created this camp that benefits military and military children, like you said, but it's integrative. So it's not just them. It's also kids who would be in the uh, sort of the average normal-ish range. There are kids that have this different abilities with autism, and he brings in people from all different parts of the country who are experts in these fields and tries to make sure that the accommodations they have are top level for these kids. He knows that if he, he brings them all together, he can give them a life-changing experience at camp where they are mentored, loved, where they 
are experimenting with different things. I mean, a camp has all different ways to expand their horizons, organic food, growing, cooking healthily, doing music, being on stage. Like there's just uh, technology. I mean, there's all this cool stuff, knife throwing. I mean, it really runs the gamut. And I think that's a really special part of him that we don't see, but it's important to see that he has that desire to give back and that we look at people as more than just um, one dimension. Very cool. And I'll add to that, I would just love to sit around the campfire at a summer camp for a week with the kids and Zach Brown and uh, crank up a little chicken fried. That, that right? would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other people doing some incredible things. Uh, this story really touched me uh, about the Air Force veteran. And, and, and before you even describe him, can, you ju- can I just tell you that, like, I felt this because my wife and I want to do something with real estate. And there is yeah. this, like, vacant lot that I know about somewhere downtown and... This what he just did is kind of like a dream of mine that I think mm-hmm. you've inspired me to maybe look into and try to do something more. But share with me the story of the Air Force veteran, the pastor in the tiny house. OK, I will. And I'm so glad that you're inspired by it. That really is the hope with this book is that somewhere in there, there's so many different angles that it'll reach something in everyone. Um, so, yeah, so Donnie Davis is he's an Air Force veteran and then he was a law enforcement officer. And as he says, he was no stranger to the taste of his own gun. And that's so sad, but it's so real, right? The pain and the cumulative PTSD gets people to the point of not wanting to live. And he took that and was able to uh, fight back with that with the help of God. And he's, he's very faithful, and he, he turned that direction. And at some point, he, you know, he met his wife, and she's incredible. He just gives her all the credit in the world. And then they found this, or they had a a property that sort of landed in their lap. It was over a million dollars. He's a pastor. She works with special ed, you know, and they found a way to take out a loan because they so believed in what they were doing. And they're putting tiny houses on this property with a big lake, and they're bringing veterans peace and a community. And they've gotten some corporate sponsorships, and they're giving them a place to heal and to know that they're not alone, a place to enjoy nature and um, and it's just extraordinary. You know, they're just starting out and they're doing such good work. And for you, I want to say maybe take a closer look also at the story about Chris Megason, who was also a, he was a military. He was a Marine and he lost a, a, a push up contest where he had to go volunteer at the soup kitchen. And to me, it seems like that, you know, that it was God working. But whatever it was, it, it opened his heart in a different way, it took him down this path that is extraordinary. But what I love about what he's done is he takes the homeless population and he doesn't just feed and clothe them, which is it's important too. He brings them in for a thousand day program over two years. They retrain on everything. They they have to put a third of their savings or their third of their income into the bank because at some point during the program they get jobs, they build resumes, they get savings accounts. You know, they are doing all the things that we do and we take for granted. They're retraining so that truly when they leave, they are they are educated. You know, it's a whole mm-hmm. don't give a man fish, teach him to fish. That's what they're doing. And, and they're having such extraordinary success. And I just want that to be the model across the country. It's it's so amazing. It changes the whole family line for generations. Wow. And that's so that just speaks to me because, as I told you about that vacant lot that we know about. Uh, yeah. You know, forever, my friends and I are, are saying my friends that are having some success uh, with their retirements. 
uh, you know, they're doing things like investing in real estate and maybe this house right. flipping thing has kind of become a trend. And, and, and I've had a couple right. of friends that have done some neat things with it. And I was joking with my wife saying, wow, that vacant lot's affordable. Too bad the only thing I could put on it when we're done is a tiny house yeah. instead of a real house. <laughs> and yeah. then it got me to thinking with that last segment, the reason why I wanted to get it is because it's right near my local homeless shelter. And I yes. thought, like, if I could get that and then put two tiny homes on it yes. instead of one home that I would try to sell to, like, a, you know, a more affluent person, that's how this starts. And I think that's, yes, what, that's, your, that's what your book is really – I took away as, as, as the bigger picture. It's not just a compilation of stories about people who will inspire the heck out of you, but it, yeah. it, it's about what you do when you put this book down. And, it, you know, to me, when I used to hear stories that were inspiring, I'd be like, oh, that's great. But I mean, I could never, you know what I mean? And this, I, the hope that in this book, people see it's just one right move. It's just starting somewhere. Because even like you said, let's just say it's two families that you were able to help and you were able to take some sort of combination between the tiny house and the, the retraining program, right? If that's what you did, you take those people in those houses and then multiply it times thousands because their family line has now changed. They are now going to inspire other people who are going to be inspiring other people. And, you know, it multiplies. It's like this exponential effect that I don't think we get to see this side of heaven. You know, I think it's one of those things where we get to the other side and we go, whoa, it affected that many people? I thought I was just helping one or two, right? And it, <laughs> that's, that's where I think the magic is. And that's what I hope people see in this book is, yes, we're only human. We have our own lives. It doesn't, we don't have to go out and raise millions and change everything. We just have to help someone. It's no coincidence, and it's probably if we were there to witness it, it would have been in the same conversation we could have with our friends. But I, you know, I envision right. Jesus walking down the beach, and the fishermen are sitting there, and there's Philip, and there's Andrew, and they're kind of going, "What? I follow you, really, dude? Wait, yeah. What do we? I mean, I can't do anything important. I'm just a fisherman." Right. And he's like, "Nah." Just help one. Just we're going to yes. start walking, buddy, and we're just going to go help one person today. That's exactly what I think this is all about. I mean, if people hadn't showed up around me to help me, I would never I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to write American Spirit. You know, what I mean, it's that's what just kind of blows my mind is I, I feel the same way. You know, I'm a stay at home mom and I'm loving my husband and tragedy hits. And I all of a sudden have people coming around to support and help lift me up and and when I'm, you know, in the, in the ditches, you know, my, my sister's husband, golly, he came in and he runs the foundation. It's like my vision and he implements and he does it all volunteer too. And he made sure my bills were paid. I mean, the little things that we forget about are the things that people came and did for me, you know, and that, that kept me afloat enough to go out and, and help others. It's just, that's just the way it works. I think. Mm. Put one good deed into motion and you make a force as big as the ocean. I absolutely love yes. absolutely love it what you're doing. Um, did you make that up or where did you get that from? I, I made it up. <laughs> um, did you just now make it up? I, no, I've said it a couple times before, like okay. to my kids and stuff. Okay, say that again. I'm going to write it down. That's amazing. Put one good deed into motion and you build a force as big as the ocean. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> you, you need to have it on like a little meme and Pinterested and social media and everything. That's awesome. Uh, well, great. Look at that. I, kids, listen to your dad. Dea Kyle yeah. says he comes up with some good stuff sometimes. All right. Seriously. <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, let's yeah. talk one last thing. It seems as though a lot of the story arcs that I cover are all from combat or from military service. And while the patriotism yeah. and the heroism is just woven into every one of those stories, um, 
people tend to think, oh, well, you know, my life is different. You know, I didn't serve, and I'm not like that. But I noticed in this book there's a chapter on somebody that's overcoming cancer. And mm-hmm. that right there is a kind of trauma that people deal mm-hmm. with, and it feels almost the exact same. Uh, I mean, it feels the exact same as any sort of warfighter injury. Cancer's just something that so many people don't know how to deal with. Talk to me about the chapter on that. A long time ago, people came up with Alex's Lemonade Stand, and it, it got all this press, and it was amazing because little Alex was a girl with cancer, and she started a Lemonade Stand, and she was just convinced she could raise a million dollars, and then she actually did, and it was just this wonderful, beautiful light, and then, you know, we move on. But I wanted people to know, and the reason that we included it was Jim DeFelice, who wrote this book with me, his nephew wasn't old enough to remember that. He was online at school, and he found like a story on Alice's lemonade stand. And he said, wait a minute, we can do that still. And so he did. And the principal got involved and the community got involved. And I think that was just another example of the ripple effect. I mean, we noticed the million dollar contribution, but what we wouldn't have known back then when people were doing the news story is how far this ripple would grow. And there are uh, companies still today who are doing Alice's lemonade stand fundraisers. And I just think that's the other part of this, you know, little Alex, you know, you can read more of her story in the book and, and it's, you know, it, it seems like it's full of heartbreak and pain. And then there's the other side that people are using that to still honor her little life and her little spirit. Mm, amazing. And I love that because my family has been touched by that on several levels. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just never forget that every day is an absolute gift. And I got to go out and put something into this world that's worth it so that something good comes back because, you know, that is what makes it feel better. That's what makes this yep. unpredictable, this uh, oftentimes kind of painful struggle of this little blue marble we live on. Um, yep. That's what makes it better, and that's what heals. Yep. And I'm so glad yeah. to see that you're putting that out there. Uh, just by profiling other people doing good things, it's a medicine that you can take, and um, the book is just amazing. One last thing to share with you real quick, because I noticed that we've both been through a commissioning ceremony recently. Yeah. Um, well, mine wasn't so recent. Uh, my background, I was in the Navy, and I was on an aircraft carrier oh, called, the, called the John C. Stennis. And uh, one of my first things after coming out of boot camp and coming out of school was reporting to the ship, and they're like, you have to cover this commissioning ceremony. And it was Norfolk, Virginia, and it was like January. So you can yeah. imagine, cold, cold. rain, yeah. I'm, I'm soaking wet, and my first professional yeah. accomplishment was standing for three hours while this commissioning ceremony went on. You yes, were, exactly. <laughs> you were recently at a commissioning ceremony where you have another connection to the ship, and I, I, I saw it on Twitter. Share with me the commissioning ceremony, the ship, and its namesake. Yeah, so, you know, this. it was um, Michael Monsoor was a warrior who, you know, incredible on his, on his first deployment, he saw, a, you know, a grenade came up on the rooftop and he saw the other guys on the rooftop who were family guys, had kids. And, you know, Mikey just decided in that split second, even though he could have gotten away, he could have, there were stairs right by him. He could have run down the stairs and saved his life, which I think is human instinct. He looked at the other guys trapped on the roof and he instead threw himself on the grenade to protect them. And of course was killed with that action. And, you know, it's it was so beautiful to see him recognized not only with the name of the ship, but the the his mother and his family, they're such amazing, strong people and they put such heart into what they were doing. They put, you know, a bronze of Saint Michael is the gift that they give the ship. And as you know in those ceremonies there's a lot of 
sentiment and meaning in all the um, ceremony. And so it's traditional for the namesake to give something to the ship and the ship to give something to the namesake. And so there was that exchange and that depth and then um, the spirit of what he gave to this world lives on and she'll, Mrs. Monsoor will keep in touch with the sailors and, you know, they'll, they'll kind of carry that spirit forward. And I just, it was, it was really beautiful. And he served with your husband too, didn't he? Was he on the same team? They weren't in the same platoon, but they were in the same team. Oh, okay. Yeah. Task unit. They were in the same task unit. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Mm. Well, always, Always awesome to see that, and some of the names of these Navy ships just draw inspiration, you know, when you speak them, and that's certainly going to be one of them. So, uh, Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I love the book. I mean, it's it's definitely, as you said, something that you should read and then put down and go out and make the world a better place with your own ray of sunshine. Uh, absolute pleasure talking to you, and I can just tell how much this comes from the heart. Uh, the book is American Spirit, Profiles in Resilience, Courage, and Faith, and the author, Taya Kyle, I... I I could talk to you all day. Love having you. I know. I feel the same. And I wanted to know if you're, are you like Instagram? Do you have a tag or something on Instagram that I can look at? Yeah, sure. Uh, we are connectingvets.com and uh, okay. perfect way to end the podcast here. We're connectingvets.com and yeah, all the podcasts are there. Uh, this one's called The CV Report. And I also host one called Vet Story. And uh, you can find those everywhere you find podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, uh, you name it. And I'm on Twitter at Phil Briggs Vet. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Phil. It was great talking with you. Again, special thanks to a very special member of our greater military veteran family. That's Taya Kyle and her co-author, Jim DeFelice. And the book is American Spirit, Profiles in Resilience, Courage, and Faith. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll talk to you again on the next episode of The CV Report. Yes, we're only human. We have our own lives. It doesn't, we don't have to go out and raise millions and change everything. We just have to help someone, to help someone, to help someone. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 